Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's our lead pastor, Matthew Malik. I believe you're ready for the word. Amen. Tribes and tongues. Uh, God wants to reach every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And uh, one, one of the things I want to mention, I'm just thinking, Sam Cahart on the front row here, he uh, kicked off this series last week with an inspired, inspiring message on the breath of life. Uh, Jesus declared as believers that we are salt and light in this world. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus said, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of, of the earth. And so salt preserves light illuminates. So your witness is significant in reaching people that have not had the opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ. So we have a mandate upon, uh, every believer has a mandate upon their life to share the love of Jesus with those they come in contact with. And do you believe that? Yes. you believe that? Say yes. Amen. Okay. All right. So uh, turn with me uh, you can open up to Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. We'll be looking at that in a moment. Um, but there's a lot of people that pray, and the title of this particular message is Pray. A lot of people pray, but not all prayer is really effective or producing results. And see, I don't want to spend time doing something that's not productive. And if, if my prayers aren't effective or productive, then I may not want to spend that much time praying if it's not bearing fruit. But I believe there's effectual prayer that God wants to establish in our lives where we see tangible results for the time that we pray and come into contact uh, with the heart of God. Now, some prayer Jesus addressed is nothing more than vain repetition. And when Jesus is talking about prayer in the Gospels, he's talking about how people pray, and it's nothing more than vain repetition. They're just doing this religious work to uh, satisfy or fulfill some religious obligation, but it's not making an impact. It's not being effectual to really uh, change lives. And so now we see Jesus uh, actually gives us specific direction on what to pray. And the passage we're about to read, we're going to see that. But let me first define to you what prayer is. Prayer is communication. It's simply communication. It means to talk to someone, to express your heart to them. Uh, the definition of prayer is to entreat, to implore, to petition, to address often used as a function word in introducing a question, a request, or a plea. So that's where we get this word prayer. We're making a petition before God. We're making a plea before God. We're reaching out to him with our faith from our heart. And, and the fact is, God does hear us. And, and some, sometimes in the, in the world we live in, if you tell people that you talk to God, they might think you're a little different, a little strange. Um, now, if you tell them that God talks to you, 
then they're going to really think you're strange. You mean, what? God talks to you? Who do you think you are? But the fact is, God does speak to his people, and he reveals himself. Now, it may not be audible, and there's one time in my life where I actually thought I heard God speak to me audibly. Uh, I can't say 100% sure, but it was enough to shake me because I thought I heard him say something to me, an audible voice. And I had to turn around and look to see who it was, and no one was there. And so, and maybe sometime I'll share that, that little story with you. <laughs> Not today, though, okay? So you have to remind me at a later time. Um, so let's, let's look at this, it's, uh, this prayer. And, and I want to call this Jesus Prayer Mandate. Again, it's one of the few places in Scripture Jesus gives a specific instruction of what we are to pray for, other than the Lord's Prayer, which that's more of a general thing, or during the time of tribulation, uh, Jesus gave instruction to pray that this doesn't happen in winter. Uh, but this is one of those specific uh, things that God instructs us to pray for. So let's look at it in Matthew chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. The synagogue was the place where the, the Jewish believers met. We, we would call that the church today. Um, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus Christ that instructs his disciples to pray. Father, we thank you for giving us wisdom, insight, and understanding concerning the truth of what we've just read, concerning the passion and compassion of Jesus for hurting people, for people that seem to be scattered as sheep without a shepherd. Father, help us to see people as you see people and help us, Father, to engage in effectual prayer to pray for labors for the harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, I want to give this, just throw this out there a little bit. Uh, You have to beware. If you start praying for the harvest, for labors for the harvest, God may actually send you. Okay, so just just a word of warning. (laughs) But that's okay, because there's no greater privilege than to be sent by God to do a work for him. And God is sending people all over this world. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've been through. But it matters just having a heart that's open and available to be used of God. And see, when, when I first became a Christian at the age of 17, you know, I just wanted God to use me. I mean, say, Lord, whatever you can do through this vessel, I want you to do something. Use me. I'm available. And that was my heart. It's, and it's still my heart. I just want God to use me. And I'm so grateful for what he's done for me. 
So I've devoted my life to him. And, and you might say, well, you're a pastor. You should be devoted to Christ. Well, every believer should have a high level of devotion to Jesus. Because there's too many that are riding the fence. There's too many that are walking the line. There are too many that are just half-heartedly serving God. Well, there's no pleasure. There's no joy. There's no satisfaction in that. You need to be all in. Because when you totally devote your life and heart to God, there's a joy, there's a blessing, there's a fulfillment that can't compare to anything else. And that's what God wants to do for all of us in this place. All right? So, now, it's most often uh, used in reference when we talk about prayer in communication with God. And so we want to talk about this. My objective in this morning's message is to inspire you to pray with a greater passion and expectation for the harvest. And, and see, to see people that have no knowledge of Christ, and, and the Bible calls them lost. Lost in the sense that, that they have lost their way, they've lost their direction in life, they've lost their purpose, and they've not really connected with their creator. And, and so they're, they're doomed to destruction. They're doomed to eternal judgment unless they have an encounter with God. And so God wants us to pray that he raises up labors for the harvest. See, because Jesus couldn't do it all. He was one person. And the reason he left and sent his Holy Spirit is so that he can empower his disciples to carry on his work, but that it would be done not through just one, but through a multitude of those who are devoted followers of him. And so now prayer is actually, you know, prayer time, let me just say this, should not be limited or centered on just ourselves or our needs. And see, I think sometimes, uh, you know, and it should include others. Sometimes we have this us for and no more mentality where we're just focused on, on us, me, we, instead of the world around us, our neighbors, our community, the, the state. I mean, there's people all over this world that Jesus Christ cares deeply for and wants to encounter them with his presence. And so a prayer will access us to wisdom so that we can gain insight and understanding of the plan, the purpose, and the will of God for our individual lives. See, a prayerless believer uh, will never discover their purpose and the plan and the, the design that God has for their journey in life. But God wants to make it very clearly known and reveal it to each of us. See, Jesus recognized the need for laborers for the harvest. And you and I need to recognize it too. And it needs to become a passion of our heart and something that's part of our prayer. Jesus was con co compelled to replicate or reproduce himself in others. And so those who believe in him are actually candidates to become vessels that he can work through, to become those labors that he will use to reach those who don't know him. So Jesus' ministry, as we see in this text we just read, 
primarily consisted of three things, teaching, preaching, and healing the sick. Uh, I mean, that comprises Jesus' ministry. Now, to teach is to explain a truth. To preach is to proclaim a truth. And the ministry of healing is, is to come into contact with the physical ailments in people's lives. And there's, there's all kinds of, I mean, you can look at healing emotionally, healing physically, healing mentally, healing in relationships. Healing covers a wide spectrum. Jesus was the healer. He's still a healer. And he's called us to minister his healing power to the nations, okay? So prayer for the harvest connects you to the heart of God, which is reaching people in a genuine encounter with Jesus. And I believe that prayer is the foundation for any successful venture. Now, as we're planning for this mission trip to Africa, uh, we are birthing it in prayer. Because without prayer, we're going to just go and have some meetings and maybe have a good time. But I want it to be life-changing. Um, and for those that will be going and for those that will receive from the ministry we bring to the Africans. Acts 6.4, we see this was something the disciples uh, shared because of the church growing, the early church growing. They saw the necessity to devote themselves to prayer. And we see in Acts 6.4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to, minister, and to the ministry of the word. And see, I want to challenge you uh, with this passage to devote yourself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That means you pray and you look to the Word of God. And, and I, I want to challenge you to be in the Word every day because uh, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. If you have to eat every day, I believe you need to be inspired by the Word every day. And so there's wonderful Bible reading programs that you can connect to online and all that so you can have your daily reading. But you need to be feeding on the Word of God. You need to be building your faith on the Word of God. And that's important. But coupled with prayer, there's something significant that will begin to happen in you. And I call it the God factor. God begins to gain more access to live his life through you. And see, that's the, that's the whole goal of Jesus. The scriptures talks about Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ wants to live in us so he can live through us and, and, and use us in a very powerful way. So prayer is not idle time. You know, some people think, well, prayer is just for old, gray-haired ladies. It's, it's for people that don't have anything better to do with their time. So just pray. Join the prayer team, you know. No, prayer should be for young, for old, and everyone in between. Amen? So passionate prayer will inspire you. Passionate prayer will motivate you and move you to action. And that's my, my desire is to have a body of believers that is passionate in their prayer life. See, prayer time is to connect us to the heart of God. And when you're connected to the heart of God, then you begin to live and act differently. Now, the harvest, and ref referencing the harvest, is reaching those with the truth of the gospel that have not yet heard or received it. So that's what the harvest is in reference to. And prayer for the harvest, I believe, is, is the closest to the heart of God because God's about reaching people. He really is. 
because he wants to reach people that are bound and in bondage to their sin because sin has enslaved humanity. And sometimes uh, the, the person who is not a follower of Christ, they celebrate their sin, they flaunt their sin, and they try to make their sin be, this is great, a great way to live. But it's still bondage. No matter how good it looks, it's bondage, and it leads only one direction. Because it separates us from God. Because sin can't come in contact with a pure God. And that's why God sent Jesus to deal with the sin so that we could connect with the Father. Now, there's a call to the nations. And I'll tell you just a little bit of a story here. Um, uh, over the years, and when I, I began the pastor, actually prior to being a pastor, I thought I'd be a missionary. And then God directed me to come to Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and plant this church. That was in 1984. And so that goes way back. About a year after we had started the church, you know, I still had this big th thing in my heart about missions and, and reaching the unreached. And we had a, a minister come that, that, that had a word for me. Now, uh, there's, if, when you study the Bible, you see many references to the prophetic for a person or for a city that are inspired by God, that reveal God's heart for a person or for a city or for a situation. And so this person came and they had a word for me. And they said, Pastor, I believe that God is going to open a door for you to go to Africa. And this was in 1985. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, fine. And, and, and you know, when I first said that, I, thought, I, I felt joy, I felt peace, I felt an excitement. Yes, I'm going to go to Africa. I've never been to Africa before, you know. So I did a little travel to Europe, but I hadn't been to Africa. And so, but I, I kind of put that on the shelf, you know. And when, when that means I just, okay, I'm going to put that on the shelf because that's for a time. God will make that clear and known when that comes. And so... Um, I was in a meeting in Minneapolis, and we were in a series of meetings each night. There were different speakers, and it was very mission-thrust-focused, reaching the nations, inspiring people to, to step out into the Great Commission, which is to take the gospel to the nations of the world, the message of Jesus' love to the nations of the world. And so I went into the prayer line one night, and the minister came up to me, and he's praying. And he's just laying his hands on people, walking and praying. And, and when he came to me, he stopped. And he looked at me, and he said, to the nations. And then he moved on. He started praying. And I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so, and so then the next night, or maybe there was a skip. Maybe it was a night after that. Another minister is doing it, and he's going through the prayer line. And you know what? I don't think they compared notes. I mean, there were hundreds of people in that meeting. And he comes to me and he stops, puts his hand on my head, and he says, to the nations. I'm thinking, okay, God, are you trying to get something across to me? <laughs> and so uh, we had this connection with this man. His name was Bishop George Ampia. He was from the nation of Ghana, a very well-respected leader, very seasoned leader, very close, uh, worked with Mo Sorello and other ministers, uh, and he would actually host and sponsor some of the major crusades in the nation of Ghana. 
And uh, he spent time in our home. He, would, he had a dual citizenship. So he had an American passport and a Ghanaian passport. So he could come anytime. So he would just show up to, in the States. And, and he said, uh, I need a place to stay. Well, come in our house. I think he was with us one time for, for six weeks. And then he would travel from our home and go different places. And he had returned to Ghana. And then he wrote me a letter. And he said, I'd like to invite you to come. I, the Lord gave me a dream. And in this dream, I saw you ministering in an open-air crusade. And then I saw you conducting a, a pastor's conference, a leader's conference. And I can remember, that was before email, so it, was a, it took weeks to get that letter. I got that letter, and I still had that letter. And I was reading that, and I just started to weep. And then I remember back in 1985 when that young man had that word for me that I'm going to go to Africa. I said, Lord, I guess I'm really going to go. I was waiting for you to open the door, and now you've opened the door. I have an invitation. And you can't just go there without an invitation and just set up a crusade. You need an invitation. It's all a, a legal process to get into the country and do whatever you're going to do there. And so that was in the year 2000. And so when, when we went to Ghana that year. And the year before, I actually was able to go to Uganda with a, another uh, church, Resurrection Life in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, uh, with a group of people from their church. And, and that was a, a glorious experience. But when we went to Ghana, uh, we did op the open-air crusade. Out of that open-air crusade, we were able to plant a church in the city of Accra. And then uh, with the pastors' conference, all of these pastors there was just some kind of connection. At the time, we had cassette tapes, and we set the price at six cents for each cassette tape to make it affordable uh, for them to purchase them. And, and they bought up all these tapes. And instead of listening to these tapes, and then the person who organized the, the whole conference said, these pastors love you, and we want to start a pastor's organization, a ministerial organization. Would that be okay with you? I said, well, sure. Well, that was started. Then two years later, we started and planted a Bible college in the city of Accra. And, and then it just seemed like things were growing. And, and every year, every other year, we're going to Africa, taking teams from the church. And God began to explode things there. And the, the church network has grown to well over 200 churches, between 200 and 300 churches. I like to be conservative on those figures. Um, We've expanded the Bible school into uh, six other regions of the nation, having uh, part-time things. We provide the curriculum and uh, at a very minimal cost for them, but we've trained and raised up leaders. And uh, at, at this point, we've, we've graduated about 1,000 uh, graduates from a Bible college, and about 700 of them have been ordained for the ministry. And, and it's all what God's done through this church, through refuge, making an impact in the continent of Africa. And, and it's, it's interesting. I, I, I try to be humble, but, and, and I, I don't know how to always receive praise, but it seems like when I go there, I'm treated like a celebrity, and I don't really care for that. But it's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It's humorous. I have to laugh and myself, and, and there's a f uh, few people in the church that have, have gone with me to Africa, and, and, and I, Tim was there a couple years ago, and um, so he got, he got the, the real 
dose of things. Um, um, it was culture shock for Tim Kleiner. Where are you, Tim? Wave at me. Oh, he's, he's back there. He's, he's at service manager today. Yeah, yeah. It was a real culture shock to him, but he survived. He made it back uh, in one piece. But anyway, um, I, I can remember feeling so inadequate for the task before me because I don't preach like an African minister. When you hear them, them preach, they are on fire. And I'm thinking, okay. How am I going to compete with their own preachers? But yet God has graced me to be able to teach and minister in a way that has helped to build them up. And our goal there is, is to empower, to equip, and to train. And, and God's doing that in, in such an amazing way. Uh, next time, uh, Taxford Agitego, he's our overseer in Ghana, uh, we'll have a minister, and, and he's a delightful, a wonderful man of God, and you just connect to his heart as well. So just to share a little bit about that, God opened that door for me, and he's opening doors for all of us to serve the purpose of God for our lives. In Psalms 2.8, the scripture, and this is actually speaking in reference to Messiah, but I believe it's also in reference to you and I. It says, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. See, God wants us to go to the nations, and, and the heritage is, is to be connected. When I go to Africa, you know those Africans you saw in the video, I'm, I'm praying in the ordination service, and I have to wear this robe. I don't like that robe. But, you know, you go with the traditions. When you're in Rome, you do as the Romans do. So, and I'm, I'm laying hands. We're ordaining these young people. They call me their dad, their spiritual father. And, and our skin tones are different. You know, but yet, I'm a spiritual father in their lives. And, and they're, they're so respectful and so honoring of, of, of whatever we've done to, to, to bring something to them, to bless them in some way. In Matthew 28, you're familiar, many of you may be familiar with the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, uh, Jesus came to his disciples. This was right before he was ascended into heaven. He gave his last instructions to his followers. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now realize, he has all authority in heaven and earth. You can't, you can't top that. So having all authority in heaven and earth, he commissioned his followers. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we've been authorized by he who has all authority in heaven and earth to go to the nations. And, and now that doesn't mean we ignore those right outside these doors. That doesn't mean we ignore those within our own community because they need to be reached as well. And that's why I, the book of Acts, it, it says that, that this thing starts in, at home, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. So it, it spreads out. And so we have a mission right here in our community to reach Stevens Point, to reach central Wisconsin, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and beyond uh, the sphere of, of this area, this region. So uh, you are 
destined to make a difference in this world. See, I, I never really knew the extent that God could use me. But he used me in significant ways. I mean, I've actually laid a hand, my hands on a blind man. And God opened that blind man's eyes. You know, the moment I did, I didn't, he, it didn't happen right away. But the next day, the pastor comes and says, Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt, guess what happened? That blind man you prayed for, he received his vision. He can see. And I'm, I'm in shock. I'm thinking, Lord. But Jesus said, thou shalt lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Jesus said, these works that I've done shall you do and greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. See, at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is orchestrating this whole thing through the church, using us, working through us to minister the teaching, the preaching, and the ministry of healing to the sick. And so I could share uh, many other stories of, of things we've seen and experienced uh, over there. And even here at home, we've seen so many amazing miracles of what God has done, giving him the glory and the honor for all that he's done. So there's three talking points I'm going to share with you before we bring this to close. And we're, we're running out of time, but uh, you can take these down if you're taking notes. Uh, direct your prayer to the one who hears and answers. Direct your prayer to the one who he hears and answers. Um, and this is with a question, who do you know who needs God? Who do you know that needs God? Is it a co-worker? Is it a neighbor? Is it a relative? Is it somebody that you are in close proximity to that is not walking with God? You need to pray to God on their behalf. The second talking point is blinded minds. Blinded minds. That's a condition of, of the unbeliever, the person who does not know Christ. And then the third talking point is God's desire. I want to briefly uh, address each of these. Direct your prayer to the one who hears and answers. In Psalm 66, verses 18 and 19, uh, the scripture reads, The Lord will not hear me if I hold on to sin in my heart. Uh, let me pause right there. Uh, one of the reasons of unanswered prayer is you have not let go of sin in your heart. You're still entertaining. You're still uh, uh, doing things that you shouldn't be doing in your life. You need to repent. You need to confess and acknowledge this is wrong. Lord, help me with this. It's one thing to, to fall into sin and, and to ask forgiveness and be asking God to help you. But it's another thing to be living in sin and trying to justify it in some fashion. You can't justify sin. Uh, your prayers won't be answered if you're justifying sin in your life. Period, okay? And then verse 19. I, I love this because uh, verse 18 leaves you hanging. <laughs> but verse 19 uh, gives you hope. It says, but it is, it is sure that God has heard. He has listened to the voice of my prayer. Why? Because I'm not going to hold on to sin anymore. I'm going to get rid of that sin. I'm going to let it go, Okay? And so sin issues have to be dealt with. They have to be addressed. And there's a lot of sin issues in the church. And, uh, but, and if, if you are dealing with sin, God's heart and compassion is for you. He's paid the price to free you from the snare of sin. Not only to forgive you of your sins, but to release you from the bondage of sin. 
that holds you captive. You don't have to remain there, okay? And 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, along with this first talking point, it says, and this is the confidence. See, God wants you to have confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, what do you ask according to his will? You find it in his word because God's word is his will. This is his will. And so if you ask anything in alignment with his word, God will hear and answer that request. If it's outside the boundaries of the word of God, you can't expect him to answer that, okay? And so it needs to be biblical. So present your request from the word. That's why to pray the word is a safe prayer, okay? You just pray the scriptures. I love to pray the word of God. You know, if I have a financial need, I pray Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for meeting and supplying all my need. Amen? And, and, and others, you can do that as well. So let's look at blinded minds. What is preventing somebody from receiving Jesus and receiving the truth of the gospel? It's a blinded mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we see in verses 3 and 4, and I recommend you to read the first part of this chapter as well because it, it all fits in the context of what we're going to read in the third and fourth verse. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, now what does that mean? It's when you veil the gospel, you're, you're cloaking it. So I'm a secret service Christian. Nobody knows that I'm a follower of Christ. You're veiling the gospel so that people don't hear the message of the truth, okay? So it says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, verse 4, the God of this world, now, the God of this world is in reference to Satan. He's the God of this world system. Not the God of the earth, but the God of the system that's controlled and manipulated by the enemy, okay? It goes on to say, in this, in this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, an unbeliever is simply blinded in their understanding. They're blinded in how they think. And so guess what? We can pray that that veil be lifted, that that blindness is removed so that they can see, so they can come to know Jesus, who is the image of God. Okay? Now, so that's an important factor because you may be thinking right now, oh, that's why when I tried to share the gospel with, with my relative, they didn't receive it because their mind is blinded. Yeah. So you can pray, Lord, open up their understanding so that that blindness will be removed, that we're combating that blindedness. The devil's trying to blind people from the truth. And so we can pray against that spiritual blindness, okay? And so that's a part of our praying for the harvest and, and all that. So let's look at God's desire. And this is important. <clears throat> I can remember when I came across this understanding, this revelation, it brought so much joy to me because, you know, some people teach, well, 
Oh, some will be saved and some will be lost. It depends what God's will is. But you know what? God's not willing that any be lost. And First Timothy chapter 2, this, this chapter starts out exhorting us to pray, exhorting you and I to pray. And it says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. Okay, so this is part of our prayer life. We, we pray, we intercede, we give thanks for all people. And then it goes on to say, verse 2, addressing those in authority, for kings, for all who are in high positions, that means your boss, okay, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So when we pray for people, when we pray for dignitaries, when we pray for those in authority, it helps to ensure a quiet life, a peaceful life. I walk around the child care center, I hear a crying baby. You know, I, I like it to be you know, nice and peaceful and quiet. So I'll confess Isaiah 54, 13. I'll say, thank you, Father, that great shall be the peace of our children, for they are taught of the Lord, okay? And so, and I'll just, I'll walk over there, and I'll just pray that, and, and then they stop crying. It, it works wonderfully, <laughs> Okay. Amen. So you might try that at home, okay? <laughs> That's something you can try at home, okay? So, okay. It goes on to say, verse 3, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now notice verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. One version says, who wills for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, God's desire is that none be lost, that all be saved, and not just be saved and get their foot in the door, but also come to the knowledge of the truth to discover what's theirs as a child of God, the rights, the privilege, the blessings that we have, the inheritance, because there's people that are saved, but they're not walking in all that God has for them because they haven't come to the knowledge of the truth. So get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire for every human being. Okay? All right? And, um, and that's that none should perish. Second Peter 3.9. And I love this passage. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Say, thank God he's patient towards me. Oh, God's been so patient with me. I've blown it so many times. Have you? He's patient with me, and I'm thankful for that. But notice what it says, the rest of this passage, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, or all should reach repentance. And so repentance is the point where a person turns from their sin, from their bondage to Christ. It's when they turn from the, the way of the world that, that leads away from the Lord, and they turn to God. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of directions. It's you determining, Lord, I'm giving my heart to you. I'm opening my life to you. We understand that Jesus is the light of the world. 
And if we follow him, we will have the light of life. So we'll be spared from being blinded by the enemy. In John 8, 12, the scripture tells us, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Wow. You know, when you think about it, darkness prevails in so many places, in our culture, in our society, and so many people's lives are cloaked in darkness. But if you follow Jesus, you have the light of life. And the light of life allows you to see how to navigate through life. It helps you to make the right decisions, to go in the right direction, to make the right choices. Uh, the light of life is, is to see things as they really are, not through eyes of deception, for the, for the truth to prevail over the lie. Because light is equivalent to truth when we look at it from the standpoint of the Word of God because uh, light exposes darkness. Light drives it away. And if there's darkness in your life, you can come to know Jesus, who's the light of this world, and you can have the light of life. Now, there are some here, and, and I, I felt this this morning, or as I was preparing last night, actually, that there's some people that may be in distress Right now, you're facing something. You're dealing with something. Psalms 4.1 says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. See, if you are in distress, God's going to meet you here now. Because you have to get out of that dis distress before you can really engage in praying for the harvest. Because the enemy is going to try to cloud our life and complicate our life with so many things that will prevent us from fulfilling what he really called us to do. I want you to stand together with me. And the first thing I want to do and in presenting an invitation is to present an invitation to those that may not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You would not consider that you are following Christ or Christ's follower. And to you, I extend an invitation to give your heart to Jesus, to open your life to him, and to receive Jesus, to receive his love, his forgiveness, to repent, to turn, from living life the way you've been living to turn to Him and to commit your life to Him. And that's an action of your will. It's your choice. It's not something that can be manipulated. It's not something that can be coerced. It's something that you alone decide. You alone decide whether or not you surrender your heart and life to Jesus. And with every head bowed, every I closed. I'm going to ask, if you hear, you say, Pastor, I'm ready and willing to surrender my life to Jesus right now. I want you to lift your hand. Maybe you've walked with God, you've drifted, you've strayed, and, and now you're coming home. Or maybe you've never really received Jesus as the Lord of your life. You've never encountered his love and forgiveness. I want you to lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Okay, are there others? Okay, see that? Okay, thank you for lifting your hands. 
We're going to pray a prayer together. Thank you for lifting your hands. God sees those hands, and he's going to meet you in a very extraordinary way today. We can all pray this prayer together. I call it the believer's prayer. It's a prayer we pray to acknowledge our belief in Jesus, receiving him as our Savior. Because the gospel message is Jesus came to die in your place to take your penalty of sin upon himself on the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be released and freed from the bondage of sin, so that you could spend eternity in heaven with him. Repeat after me, Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you. I acknowledge I need Jesus. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead to give me new life. I give my heart to you, Jesus. I receive you as my Lord. Forgive me of my sins and make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.